0: Amen. It is good to be together, to be reminded of what is true, to seek the Lord together. I'll ask you to turn with me to the book of Malachi. We are finishing our summer series. Um, the weather kind of reverted to summer a little bit towards the end of this week, so we're, not, we, we're just kind of in that window, trying to finish up the summer series in the 12 minor prophets with... Um, with a little journey into Lamentations along the way, a little interlude. As we wrap up that series, we find ourselves this morning in the book of Malachi, the last of the 12, finishing out in many ways the, uh, the themes that we've seen through the whole series. He continues to remind us, as we've seen, that sin in the eyes of God is gross. It is, it is equivalent to marital infidelity, and it brings judgment and wrath. But for God's people who cling to him, who repent, there is hope on the other side of judgment. This is the song that the twelve have been singing for us week after week as we've been listening to the message of the twelve minor prophets, remembering that though our history is one of an unfaithful people, together we have a God who is fully and forever faithful to us, and we rejoice in that. We're going to read from Malachi. One, one interesting thing about the book of Malachi is um, it begins with this phrase: "The word of the Lord from uh, from Malachi." Malachi's name means "my messenger," and then. Um, Almost every other verse throughout the whole book, it seems, it seems like every time Malachi says something, he says, thus says the Lord, or says the Lord of hosts, something like that to remind you, this is the word of God, this is the word of God, this is the word of God. And almost every time the people respond, well, I think about seven times, I shouldn't say almost every time, seven times it's, it, there's a response, a rebuttal from the people, but you say, but you say, but you say, they're complaining against God and his word. This is one of the signs of a hard heart is we're not receptive to the word of God. We don't receive it with thankful hearts. I say all that just to introduce the scripture reading because what we do, it's a little tradition that we have at this church. That's a tradition that we've gained through the global church and the historic church is before we read scriptures, I'm going to say, hear what the word of the Lord says or hear the word of God, something along those lines to call our attention, to remind ourselves that what we're doing is an act of worship. We're hearing from our God. And at the end of the reading, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, which is your opportunity to respond and together out loud say, thanks be to God. And what we're doing is we're reminding ourselves of the origin of the word, the importance of the word, the authority of the word, and the posture of our hearts to the word, which is thankfulness. God has spoken, and we receive it as his people. So that's all by way of introduction to the word from Malachi chapter 1. I want to read it for you. I'll ask you to turn there. I'm going to read from the first part of Malachi 1, and then I'm going to read Uh, beginning in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16. I'll I'll tell you, I'll direct you as we go, but for now, hear what Holy Scripture says. The oracle of the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother? declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. I've laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may rebuild, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say... How have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God. That he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were, the, there were one among you who would shut the doors. That you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. And I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be You bring what's been taken by violence or is lame or is sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations." Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Please pray again for me. Father God, incline our hearts to your word. Make us a people who receive humbly and respond quickly. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, you know one of the hardest things about living as a Christian, I've, I've found over the years and as I've talked to a number of you is, is simply this, that living as a Christian keeps going. It's, it's, it's the long haul. It's, it's the meantime. It's, it's, the, it's the distance between our glorious future that we long for and love and, and the present moment that often sucks. It's, it's the dissonance between what is our destiny and what's our current reality. And the fact that we're called to just keep going in the midst of that. It can seem as a people like, like we have these glorious promises of salvation, of forgiveness, of redemption, of beholding the glory of God fully with unveiled face. One day we'll see him and in an instant we'll be like him and, and there'll be new creation and we'll be in a world with justice and righteousness and peace and love and unity. That will be a glorious moment when death is forever defeated and every tear is wiped from our eye and we are ever living in the presence of Jesus the one for whom we were created the one our souls love that's our future but then think about our reality and sometimes the distance between the glory of the promises and the drudgery of the present makes it really hard to keep going It makes it seem like like the promises, they, they almost fade in relevance to the way that we live so that our lives become increasingly faithless to God. We're less and less motivated by what's true and more and more controlled by what we see and experience so that it feels like faithfulness in my life, godliness in the little places, It doesn't really matter. I'm just trying to figure out how to survive in a world that's broken and messed up. And if that takes some compromise, that takes some compromise. I say all that so that hopefully you can understand there's not a whole lot of difference between us and the people to whom Malachi is writing. Malachi is writing in the low 400s so just over 400 years before the coming of Christ he's writing to people who had been told that they had a glorious future I mean they had they had their grandparents generation had been in exile there was there was promised judgment that they had endured and they'd been taken captive all the prophecies of the twelve minor prophets and the major prophets that they would go into exile those all came true and they went into exile for 70 years but remember they were promised Promises for the people who went into exile that after 70 years they would return. And the great grandparents or their grandparents have seen the fulfillment of this promise under Cyrus and then Darius, as Nabil reminded us last week. These promises were met, they were fulfilled, the people came back to the promised land. And then Haggai preached about rebuilding the temple and the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah. The temple was reconstructed and worship was restored for the people of Israel. But remember, there was a promise in places like Ezekiel that this was supposed to be. There's there's still supposed to be some glorious future where Israel reigns over the nations and the, the temple is bigger and more glorious and more beautiful than ever and the power is restored to Israel. There's supposed to be a Davidic king and a great high priest. They came back. They built the temple. They started worshiping. It has been over 100 years. They've been back in Jerusalem. And there's no glory. They're a little nation bounced around between political powers with no voice. They've got no Davidic king, no high priest. No glory of God manifest in the temple that they can see. And so compromise creeps in. Faithfulness gets Hard The vision for the promise is lost, and they become a people who are faithless. Malachi wants to address us like he addressed them this morning, and he wants to urge us. He wants to confront us about the lies we're believing and urge us towards faithfulness in the little things. He wants to move us past what we feel in the moment to remember what is true for all time so that it would motivate faithfulness in the little things in the present. Godliness in the here and now. So he's going to urge us to faithfulness by re- reminding us of what is true. First of all, Malachi is going to tell us to remember. Friends, remember his love. Remember the love of God for us. We're all too quick to forget this. It's, it's a basic truth. It is, of all truths, one of the most simple, but it is easy to forget. How many of you experienced this this past year and a half? Distance... It said, breeds suspicion. That's entirely true. Uh, People that you haven't seen, church members that you haven't seen, people, friends, family members that you haven't seen. But you just see whether it's Facebook posts or Twitter posts or whatever, and it just, you just like, little interactions that you have, all of a sudden can flare up tensions, all these kinds of things in our lives. A lot of times it's because there's just distance. But long before we get the distance that brings suspicion, there's, there's distance that causes us to forget love. So that all of a sudden when you see someone again, it's like, oh yeah, I remember what it's like to look into your eyes and to see your smile and and where appropriate and safe to to hug or to shake hands, to have some kind of physical contact. The, The presence is a reminder of the affection that was always there, but we just are so quick to forget love, to forget our love for others and to forget their love for us. That's true in our relationship with God as well. So Malachi starts here, It's so foundational he starts here. And this is strange, right? If you've been with us through the 12, you've heard all kinds of prophecies of doom and gloom and judgment and all these things. You wouldn't expect the minor prophet to start with a message of love. But look at, this is exactly where he starts. The oracle of the word of Yahweh to Israel by Malachi, chapter 1, verse 1, verse 2. I have loved you. This is is why faithfulness matters. Everything Malachi is going to urge us towards is because God has loved us and brought us into covenant relationship with Him. This is so fundamental to how we respond, right? We, We don't strive for faithfulness to be right with God. We strive for faithfulness because he's already made us right with him. He's already set his love on us. He's already brought us into covenant so that faithfulness in our lives is a response to his love. People don't believe that they're loved because of their circumstances. Sometimes we feel like that in our lives too, right? God loves you. Yeah, whatever. I don't know. I'm looking at my life right now. It doesn't feel like it. Verse 2, but you say, How have you loved us? God responds, Is not Esau Jacob's brother? declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. The background to this is really important to know. If you go all the way back in the history of God's people, Jacob was the one who would be renamed Israel. And from him, the whole nation of Israel, the 12 tribes would come. The promised covenantal blessings of Abraham and Isaac were passed on to Jacob. But Jacob was twin. And when he was still in the womb together with Esau, they fought, they wrestled. And there was a prophecy that God gave while the two of them were still in the womb. That the older would serve the younger. This is is counter to all human experience and, and human wisdom. Jacob is the one who is not loved by his father. Jacob is the one who is second born. He is the one who does not receive the inheritance or the birthright naturally in human plans. But God not because of anything that the fertilized eggs did in the womb, not because of any of their works, but because his own purpose in election must stand, said, Jacob I've loved, Esau I have hated. He set his love on Jacob, and he made him a great nation. God initiated this covenantal relationship with Jacob and with Israel. By way of contrast, his love for Jacob is so great... That the love for Esau seems like hatred. God's trying to make that clear for them. Despite what you feel in this moment, look at what I have done. Again, verse 2 Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. I've laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, We are shattered, but they're resilient, we will rebuild. We'll rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, they may build, go ahead guys, but I will tear down and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. What God is saying is this, I initiated a relationship with Jacob in love. I have kept Jacob in love. I will continue to keep you, my people, in love. Over against my relationship with everyone else, I have loved you Is that true for you? Are you, apart from how you feel, trying to interpret providence in your circumstances, taking into account what you know to be true for all time, are you loved by God? One of the the great things I love about the book of Malachi as you come to the end of the Old Testament is there are a million roads to get to the gospel through the book of Malachi. You can think about the prophecies of John the Baptist and the coming of the Lord God into the temple in chapter 3 and chapter 4. You, you can think about the day of the Lord and what that's going to look like as Christ fulfills that. You can think about the need for a holy priest, a, a holy priest, to sacrifice on behalf of the people. You can think about the need of a perfect sacrifice rather than the blemished sacrifices of the people. There's all kinds of ways you can get to the gospel, but this one, I think, is most foundational and most clear. It most directly applies to us. It is so simple. Friends, are you loved? What does the New Testament say about the love of God? Where is the love of God? If it was revealed to them in his election of Jacob, where is the love of God for us revealed? John 3:16, you know it. For God so loved. He so loved in this way to this degree. He so loved the world. No longer just one nation, one ethnic people, but the world collectively in rebellion. He loved us so much that he sent his son. And whoever believes in him should not die, will not die, but will have eternal life. This is the love of God. He sent his son. Think about 1 John 4.10. How does John say it in 1 John 4? He says this, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God loved us First and sent Jesus to die in our place to take the wrath that we deserve. Friends, objectively, you cannot look at this evidence and come to any other conclusion other than that God loves you so much that he crushed his son for you. This is a love so foreign to us. In Romans chapter 5, Paul describes it this way. He says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Maybe, maybe one would die for a good person, he says. Though perhaps one would die for a good person. But God, with his totally otherworldly love, shows his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The love of God has been so clearly and objectively put on display. The offer of the love of God has been so powerfully laid out for you in the death of Jesus Christ for you. In this world, you have tried to find love because we're wired for it. But people have failed you Fathers have failed you. Mothers have abandoned you. Siblings, cousins have betrayed you. Spouses have cheated, abandoned, left. You have seen love fail? That does not define you. If you have turned from your sin, if you have trusted in Christ, if you have received the love of God, then listen, this is who you are. You are loved. Fully, forever, unbreakably, irretrievably, you are loved because Jesus died in your place. He died and was raised. His covenantal love is set on you and cannot be removed or revoked. This defines you. If, you. if you are struggling with faithfulness in your life, if you sense the creeping tentacles of sin grabbing hold of various parts of your life or your heart and dragging you down and pulling you away, friend, begin here. Ask yourself, are you loved. This is the foundation of faithfulness. Friends, remember first of all, God loved you and you are loved. Malachi wants you to remember his love. Here's the second thing Malachi wants you to remember. Now that you remember that he has loved you, remember that he is faithful. Remember his faithfulness. What he has done will not be changed. What he has said, he will continue to accomplish. We need to remember his, his faithfulness. There, uh, faith, faithfulness as a concept is important to try to get our, our heads around because... Well, there's, there's different reasons why we can't get our heads around concepts, right? Like, um, I can't get my head around math because... <laughs> God didn't wire me that way. It's confusing to me and people laugh at me. But I do like languages. So like sometimes if I'm trying to learn languages, I can grasp some of those concepts. But if I, if I need help with math, I'm going to go to like Taurus or something and be like, Brother, you need to help me in my weakness. My, my brain just isn't wired to grasp certain concepts. But there are other types of concepts that, that we can begin to grasp, at, at least to a degree, we we can grasp something of faithfulness. We we've seen it, right? We we've seen people keep their word, but if seeing human faithfulness and trying to compare it to God's faithfulness, it's it's kind of like being like, I don't need to see the Grand Canyon because I've seen the Scarborough Bluffs. Right? I, I don't need to go to the Pacific, I've seen Lake Ontario. They are so profoundly different that they may be alike in kind, but the degree is indescribable. It must be experienced. This is God's faithfulness. He keeps His word. Every little phrase, every letter that He has inspired, every period at every sentence, He will keep. Specifically, He is faithful in Malachi to both bless and curse. And at the end of the Old Testament, this should not be a surprise to us. Think about the beginning of the Old Testament when God created the heavens and the earth, and he placed Adam in the garden, and he blessed him, he blessed Adam and Eve, and he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. But then after they sinned, what was the response? God cursed. Blessing and curse. When God called Abraham, he said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Five times he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a blessing so that those who bless you will be blessed, but those who curse you, if someone curses you, he will be cursed. The blessing and the curse will go along with Abraham. When the people entered into the promised land, they entered in and they split up the people onto Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal and they pronounced back and forth to one another. They called the blessings and the curses for obeying the law. This was all grounded in Deuteronomy 28 when Moses, with his last words, Deuteronomy 28 to 32, laid out for the people, if you walk in faithfulness to this covenant, there will be blessings, but if you do not, there will be Curses. And the whole rest of the Old Testament after that point is God proving that he is faithful to bring both blessings and curses. So of course it's fitting that as we come to Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, we see this as well. First of all, he is faithful to bless. As we saw with Jacob and Esau, he has been faithful to continue to bless Jacob and his descendants. And now in this day, he wants faithfulness from his people so that he can bless them. In chapter 3 and verse 10, he says this, to the people of Israel, who are holding back. They're withholding sacrifices, what they should be bringing, because they're trying to make sure they're looking out for number one and taking care of themselves. God says this, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Walk in obedience to me first, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts this is a divine dare. This is God God laying down a dare. I dare you. Bring the tithes and watch what I do. Cast yourself on me and watch what I do. Watch what I'm going to do. I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I'm going to bless your socks off. I'm going to Bless the roof off the heavens. I'm going to bless the doors off your barns. I'm going to bless you. This is what I'm longing to do. So walk in faithfulness. Walk in faithfulness with me. He's faithful to his word, not just to bless, but he's also faithful to curse. As with Esau at the beginning of this book. So the pattern continues, and and it's always dangerous when we read these old covenant passages to think that somehow it is bound up simply with race, as if God is making distinctions between ethnicities, and that's why some are receiving a curse rather than blessing. But understand, the curse is promised to even Israelites who do not walk in covenantal faithfulness with their God. It is not about race. It's about allegiance to a king. It's about faithfulness to a covenant. So even the priests receive these words. Look at how strong these words are in chapter 2 and verse 2. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, guys, listen to what God says says, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces. Okay, How do you even know what to do with that? When does God say that? This is strong. I will spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. This is spoken by a God who is warning, he is faithful to bring the curses of judgment as well as the blessings of salvation. It's not just for priests, it's for anyone who can hear. So in chapter 4 and verse 1, we hear this. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch." There is a day that is coming when the judgment, the curse, will be finalized. It will be brought to fulfillment for all who do not know this God and walk in his ways. Malachi is urging the people to hear the warning and to turn away from their sin and their self-governance and to walk in faithfulness to him who has loved them God is faithful to bless. He's faithful to curse. Look at how these things come together. Chapter 4, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. There's a day coming when God's people will be delivered and his enemies will be destroyed and the two of these things will work together in that moment for the display of his righteousness his justice and his glory he is committed to being revealed for who he is a great king worthy of fear honor and worship this god is faithful to both bless and and to curse. He does it all. Chapter 1, verse 5, your own eyes shall see this so that you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel, the God who fulfills every word. So if we remember his love... And his faithfulness, this is the reality that is coming in the future. These are truths for all time. What then comes to us? How does this hit us? This is the last thing that Malachi wants us to remember. He says this. He says, remember what you're called to. Remember what you are called to. God wants faithfulness from you in every area. Every area of your life. Life beginning in your worship. God wants faithfulness from you, full faithfulness from you in your worship. Chapter 1 and verse 6 A son honors his father, a servant his master. If I'm a father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's my fear? The the people are bringing. Half-hearted sacrifices at best. Like God doesn't care about the details. Like he doesn't care about the heart behind it. I'm going through the rituals. I'm going through the motions. I'm bringing an animal. What difference does it make the quality? What difference does it make if my heart is in it? You understand, right? God doesn't need sheep. He wants the heart of his people. And it's the heart of the people that's being revealed by what they're bringing. They're not honoring him. They're not fearing him. They're not walking faithfully with him. The New Testament reminds us of the same thing. The Apostle Paul says the Lord loves a cheerful giver, a sacrificial giver, a regular and deliberate giver, one who gives themselves fully and faithfully to the God who is worthy of all honor and all glory and all praise. He wants faithfulness from you in your worship. Do you give to Him? Do you give yourself to Him In how you receive his word. We've seen this in the people, right? People are holding back. They're not listening to God's word. But you say, but you say, but you say. They're fighting back against God. Do you give yourself over and humbly receive the word of God? Do you give yourself in submission to the word of God? Do you give yourself wholly to worship God in song, a great king who is worthy of honor? Do you give yourself in song with mind, thinking about what you're singing, with heart as the word of Christ dwells in you richly, is your heart overflowing with thankfulness? Are you giving yourself to him with your songs fully and faithfully? He wants you to give yourself to him and your finances. Not holding back, but giving what you have committed, he still dares you. Give and watch. Watch how I bless. In your worship, in your worship, he wants faithfulness. Not just, not just in your worship, in your household as well. He wants faithfulness in your household. Chapter 2 and verse 13, they're, they're complaining because God no longer regards the offerings or accepts it with favor from their hand. Verse 14, but you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she's your companion and your wife by covenant. The, the background is the people of Israel, when they came back to Jerusalem, began divorcing their Jewish wives and marrying wives of the foreign nations who worshipped foreign gods, they were compromising their worship. And one of the expressions of being faithless to God was being faithless to other people, and it was manifest in the home. They were faithless to their wives. He's been faithful to you, and he calls you to be faithful to others. Beginning in your home, of course, divorce is is at the far end. If, if it's like a a line, like a, a train or subway line, it's 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 the end of the line. It's it's where it all leads. But there are lots of stops, lots of stations of faithlessness along the way that might be manifest in your home that the Lord wants to address. Have you been faithless in your browsing history? Have you been faithless with where your eyes go when you're sitting on the TTC in your commute? Have you been faithless in the way you interact with a coworker? Maybe you've just been faithless in your own mind, in your own imagination, wondering what life would be like if maybe it's the faithlessness of staying in the home and being bodily present. And acting like that's virtuous while not giving yourself to your spouse or loving them and drawing them in. You're physically present, but you're still faithless. Friends, God is calling us to be a people who are faithful in every area of life. If that does not hit us in our home, if that does not hit us in our marriage, I don't know know where it should. God wants your life to be characterized by faithfulness, in your worship, in your home, and then broadly in your vocation, in your neighborhood. Who who do you interact with? Where has God given you influence and power? Chapter 3 and verse 5, "...then I will draw near to you for judgment..." I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, the adulterers, those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. This is a picture of faithlessness in, in various areas of your life where you interact with others, where your heart wanders. Are you cheating in your taxes? Are you cheating your employer? Are you cheating those who work for you? Are you withholding good from others when it is in your power to give it? The Lord who has faithfully blessed you is calling you to be a faithful blessing to others. This list is not exhaustive. God is essentially saying through Malachi, I care about the details. I care that you're a person who speaks the truth and lives the truth and that the truth is of how I've loved you and walked with you is faithfully worked out in all the corners of your life. Are you faithful or faithless in your walk with him? God wants you to be faithful in every area But also, God wants you to be faithful in every era. This kind of brings us back full circle to where we started. Listen listen to what Israel was anticipating. By the end of this book, chapter four and verse three, as we said, you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be the ashes under they they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. This is this is the the promise, the anticipation. This is what's going to happen. God's going to bring justice. We're going to be reestablished as His people. We're going to reign over the earth. This is this is what they're anticipating. But then, guess what? Dot dot dot. After Malachi, four hundred years of silence. where the nation keeps getting batted around. The temple gets destroyed and defiled all over again. It looks like God is slow in fulfilling his promises. So in the meantime, what are they called to? Look at verse 4 of chapter 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. The final words of the Old Testament are this. Just keep going. We're same things people. Your circumstances, no matter what they are, do not change your obligation to walk in covenantal faithfulness to the God who has saved you and loved you. Just keep going. Has it felt long in COVID? It's felt long, right? Weary. Maybe for you, it's not even COVID that feels long. It could be any kind of suffering. It, it could be distance from loved ones. It could be ongoing physical ailments, chronic sickness. It could be unwanted singleness or childlessness. It just keeps going, and it feels so long and so hard. Friend, I want to invite you through the prophet Malachi to get your head out of the sand of your own experience. Just for a minute, to scan the horizon of the history of God's people and realize we are not unique. Think, think about this reality. Abraham had to wait a hundred years for the birth of the child of promise, Israel was in Egypt for 400 years until they were delivered. And even then they were delivered into the wilderness for another 40 years. It was 400 years again from the time of the Exodus to the time when King David was actually installed and the kingdom was established in the land. It lasted only two generations before it started to split up. And then there were a thousand years from the time the glory of God came in the temple of Solomon to the time when the glory of God comes in the person of Jesus into the temple. A thousand years God just calls us to keep going, walking in faithfulness. Paul, the apostle, he says, he says, pray that we'd be able to live peaceful and godly lives, quiet, dignified in in every way. And, and so we kind of hold that up as like this is the ideal, which it is, but then we act like therefore it ought to be our expectation because that's what we've experienced in the West for so long. But listen, if you scan the history of the church from the time of the Apostle Paul, this has not been the regular experience of the church. We've had it pretty good. Paul, Peter, James, The author to Hebrews, all of them describe these days that we're living in right now as the last days, those days that are full of suffering and opposition and persecution of the church. And globally, we have seen it now for 2,000 years. So if this feels long in a year and a half, and if this feels like it's dominating your mind, like, oh no, what's coming for us? Friend, realize we are not unique, we're not special. God still calls us to live faithfully, loving each other, being faithful in our homes, faithful in our workplaces, faithful in our neighborhoods, regardless of the circumstances, just keep going. The message of Malachi is faithfulness now and always, grounded in truth that is unchanging for all times, regardless of how we feel and regardless of our circumstances, we remember we are a people who are loved, serving a God who is faithful and he calls us to live faithfully in response in every area of our life. May we hear the word of God and respond. Let's pray.